I got shot on Monday. <laughs> there you go. In the arm. Okay. Uh, uh, are you are you are you okay? Yeah, yeah. It was it was a very small needle that went into my arm to give me my first uh, vaccination shot from Pfizer. Oh. That must. Did you feel the power coursing through you? Like as the five G took over your body? It wasn't immediate. Um, <laughs> it was it was a slow rollout for the five G. I see. Um, it's okay that I've got. A third nipple growing on my forehead, right? That's that's part of it. Yeah, no, that's normal. That that's like a temporary symptom that's supposed to subside after okay. four to six weeks. Um, you know, they say if it lasts longer, you you can check with a professional. Um, I see. Yeah. So uh, otherwise, no no major issues though. No, no. I mean, my my arm was pretty sore. Um, like my shoulder was pretty sore, like more than I've ever felt by pretty much any other shot. The only one that like, the only shot that I've ever received that uh, was more intense than this was when I got my anthrax shot. <laughs> Wait, you're not kidding, are you? That's no, a shot I'm you not. have to get. No, this is this this one's not a bit. Um, Whoa, <laughs> okay. Uh, when I um, when I was in the Marine huh. Corps, I uh, in 2004 I was set to be deployed to Iraq, and so I started going through the the process of doing that, which meant that I had to receive a vaccination for anthrax because at the time uh, that was a thing. Um, yep. I I think yep. even like postal workers here were getting anthrax shots because yeah, because it was going through the mail mailing. Uh huh. Yeah. Not terrifying at all. No, so it's it's a it's a uh, four needle grouping. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, like uh, like the Mission Impossible Two style injector thing. Yeah, some. I mean, <laughs> not not so fancy, but yes. That okay. To to draw a parallel, that that would be the closest thing. So yeah, it's it's four needles very close together, and you get stuck like that. Your your skin raises like. A, a good amount and like a, you have permanent <laughs> scarring that's huh. great that's um that's a way to grant immunity yes yes do you know um, anything about why it has to be like that like I'm, I'm truly fascinated by this i i do not know more than that there's it's funny because in, in all this time i've not looked it up but it's just that is the way it is and or at least how it was i mean who knows what kind of possible improvements there's been to it but or Oof. if it's even still being like given out for anything but sure yeah uh it that one really hurt and it and it fucks you up it knocks you off your feet for several days god um and then i ended up being pulled off the rotation to go to iraq so that was all for nothing oh, i guess great. huh well that's um a unique life experience that you had yeah i'm you know you know in a weird way i am it is a weird badge of honor like like not ideal it's there on your skin <laughs> yeah 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 uh to clarify the skin did go back down uh, over the course of a week but like there is still that permanent scarring from it you can you can tell where mm -hmm. i got stuck interesting huh well, so, so, then by so anthrax the, is number one in, in terms of pain and like 
<laughs> inconvenience. Yeah. Uh, COVID-19, though, was a very close second uh, okay. so far, at least for part one. Like, Interesting. My arm hurting and like not being able to lift it even was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was legit. Uh, so we'll see yeah. what round two delivers. Interesting. Yeah, when I got my first shot, it felt like I had been clubbed in the arm and that soreness lasted for like two days uh-huh. uh, and eventually it went away. The second shot, like that's the one everyone says is is worse in terms of side effects. And, you know, like I felt like I had arm soreness again. Um, and I felt like not even like I wanted to take a nap, just like I had I had extra yawns. Okay, uh, yeah, the yawns. And, and then I woke up the next morning and my arm was a little sore and I just kind of massaged it and it immediately stopped hurting and I was, that was it. Like huh. second shot was basically nothing. Um, so, you know, I guess I'm really good at getting shots or something. I guess. I guess. I don't know. Um, it's funny, though, because my daughter just had to go into the doctor for her three year checkup um, this year or not <laughs> this year, this week. Uh, <laughs> and so it was this whole process of like gearing her up mentally, like to go to the doctor because she hates going to the doctor because she's. She's three, right? Um, and she has lots of anxiety about getting shots. And at one point during like kind of talking her through things, what was going to happen, she said, um, we don't we don't like shots. No one likes getting shots. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, you're right. You're right about that. And then I looked over at my wife and I said, actually, though, I kind of liked the last two that I got, <laughs> um, which is not a, something I ever thought I would hear myself say. How is she three, by the way? Dude, I don't know. Time like ceases to have meaning. I think she's she's simultaneously three weeks and three years. <laughs> like, I don't understand. I feel so old. I'm like, I'm like the guy at the end of Last Crusade who drank out <laughs> of the wrong goblet as we speak. Everybody, it's Friday, April 9th, and welcome to Quick Save, the saving content podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rowe. With me today is the one and only Scott Ellison. How are you this week, Scott? I am fantabulous. Ah, yes. New as promised. <laughs> well done. I'm proud of you. Uh, well, that's great to hear. What? Why, why are things so fantabulous in your world this week? Uh, no particular reason. I just, oh, okay. you know, I just got a vaccine shot. That's all. Hey, no that deal. is incredibly exciting. I'm, I'm doing my part. <laughs> well, and you know, if nothing else, you're, you're keeping yourself nice and healthy. I, I would like to go places and do things and not get people sick. Those are, those are good goals. I think those are good life goals. Yeah. And so, man, and just think of it, you're just a mere few weeks away from near complete immunity. Yes. And when that happens, then I will get a haircut after over a year and several months. Uh, see, and I'm just going to, I'm going to let mine just keep going. I'm going to let it go. Man. Until I can't. I don't know. Like, I keep thinking about it. Like, I've been seeing pictures of myself from like a year ago when my hair was more reasonable in length. (laughs) 
Um, and I keep thinking to myself, like, you know, like I'm liking the long hair thing still, but one of these days it's going to happen. But I don't know if I can ever go back to like short, short. I feel like, I feel like at least medium length. I'm, I'm a fan of. Yeah. I I've always been kind of a, a short hair person, uh, except in middle school when I had like this kind of length hair and this is far longer than even that was. Uh, but I, I've stuck to short hair and I do prefer it. The, the maintenance on long hair, the shedding with all this long hair is just way too much for me. Yeah. Like you get out of the, you wash your hair in the shower and you look down at your hands and there's just a bunch of hair on them. And you're like, what is going on with this? This didn't then, used to happen to me. I mean, I, yeah, it's, I used to get mad because like I'd jump in the shower and see all my wife's hair everywhere. And now I'm, <laughs> I'm that person. Yeah, exactly. Ah, this is disgusting. Oh no. I've become that, which I hate. <laughs> uh, I it's just mean. time. I, I, I just liked equating letting the hair go with COVID and being fully vaccinated. It just makes sense for me to cut it. That's fair. That's, That's for fair. me. That's for me. Doesn't yeah. have to be for anybody else. No, I get it. I'm I'm feeling like I had been threatening to grow my hair out again for years before this whole thing came upon us. And so having the excuse to do it easily um, when it's funny, because in hindsight, there was literally nothing stopping me from doing it before. But um, kind of having like the built in excuse of like, well, where would I even get a cut if I wanted to? Right. Like yeah. It sort yeah. of empowered me to just do this. And now. Like it's, I think it's about as long as it's ever been. I want to grow it more. And like, there's a couple of, I feel like it, there's a certain length that's going to get to when it's going to start looking better again. Cause it's kind of, it's an almost, it's not like a bowl. I don't know. It just is, it's in a weird shape right now. <laughs> uh, and I have to work real hard to make it not look weird. And if it just grows for a little longer, it's going to get over that hump and then I'm going to be able to do cool stuff with it. Uh huh. But I also don't know if that's actually going to work with my hair type. Like my hair is very straight, very straight. Uh, and most of the hairstyles I see that are longer, like you need wavy hair for. Okay. I don't have the kind of time it takes to, to get a perm or like to make it there. Yeah. Know, to manually like deliberately get waves in my hair. That just seems like a lot of work. Yeah. I've done the exact same excuses in terms of like growing my hair out. Like um, I, I've, I've done it a few times because I wanted to achieve a certain hairstyle where I, so I just didn't get it cut for like three or four months. But now it's just like, this was the perfect excuse to just see how long I could grow it because really it was like, we don't know how long this is going to last. And true naively, you know, like when like April or May rolled around, I was like, eh, probably by the end of the year, I'll be able to get a haircut or something, you know, like this, this mm -hmm. thing will be over not that soon, but not too far away. And then it kept going again, but it was just like, I'll just get a cut when, when this is over, you know? Yeah. But that, that has allowed for me to grow some really long hair. Yeah. Well, more power. And to now, you. now I know what it looks like. And I turns out I look pretty okay with it. Um, so I could do it again if I wanted to. Well, that's that's like the the best thing, right? It's like a, it's almost like giving yourself a gift. You you've done the experiment, you know what the results are, and you know that it actually works. Um, it's just it's about putting the time in to get there, and I think that's part of why I don't want to cut mine off. Is like 
I spent the past year getting all of this together <laughs> and I don't want to just lop it off quite yet. That's fair. I want to see where it goes. But I also, I very much understand the, the desire to just be like, nah, man, like let's, let's reset. <laughs> it's going to feel weird after you do that. I know. I know it is. I'm definitely going to do before and after pictures and stuff. Uh, just, just to catalog it. Yep. Yep. You got to. I'm excited for that. Um, we have a, a thing we wanted to talk about before the usual shenanigans. Sure. Um, <laughs> cause well, look, if you come around for the pre-show, you hear all kinds of rants, but we haven't had a good on show rant in a bit. Uh, I don't think, I don't know. I don't keep track. I can't remember um, if we've talked about this on the podcast or if it was a pre-show thing. I don't know if we have or not either. Um, but I wanted I wanted to just do a quick exchange of ideas about and, and thoughts and feelings about non-fungible tokens. You've you've joked about NFTs. You've joked about fungibleness. Um, but I yeah, have like, but yeah. Um, well, I feel I like mean, NFTs so, are destroying everything. But uh, yes. But before yeah. Uh, what what do you think? I, I mean, I do have NFT. No Wait, fucking I'm sorry. time. <laughs> uh, no, I I don't give a shit. I hate seeing artists like feel like they need to do this. This ethereal, ghostly ownership that really doesn't exist is mm-hmm. super bothersome. On every single level, I hate it. And okay, there might actually be some jealousy here, and and like I, I envy the the money people are making off of these, but that's the extent that it goes. Yeah, I. Uh, so like, from the perspective of like artists who are really into this and thriving on it. And, and making a lot of money, I can sort of see some merit or like why people are excited. Um, you know, you for the first time have a way for someone who produces digital art, which by its very nature can be copied indefinitely and distributed mm-hmm. indefinitely. And therefore, you know, like in theory, devalue the piece, right? Um, you now have a way for someone to own what is considered the original copy of a thing. Right. Or, or, you know, to own the, the work in the same way that someone would own uh, like the Mona Lisa or, you know, any other unique piece of artwork that would be valued at millions of dollars or, or hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and kept in a museum and shared in collections. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like I understand that this empowers digital artists to create work and and like make money on their work in a way that they could not have and that's interesting but like but at what cost and and i don't just mean like the the money it costs you to buy one of these fucking things i'm talking about the intensity of the mathematical operations that have to be done to to use the blockchain to generate the tokens and, and catalog the transfer in the ledger um and like what the environmental impact of the massive amount of energy consumption is, because it's way worse than even Bitcoin and, and like crypto, 
which is also awful in terms of energy consumption and environmental impact. Um, but like, oh, it just sucks that like, you know, someone did come up with a solution to like this idea of an original piece or the original copy of a thing in the digital world. But the way that they're solving this fucking sucks. Like, it's just, oh, it's, it, it just makes me absolutely crazy. And I've seen artists who I really like and whose work I respect start just going full bore on NFTs and yep. like check out, you know, my next drops coming next week. I'm, I'm going to sell another NFT next week. And like, you can own this piece and like, ah, uh, I don't, I don't know, man. Like I know like, people got to make money and they got to eat, but like just again, it's like the idea makes sense. Everything around it and how it's working just makes my blood boil. It's, and you don't really own it. Mm. Like there, there's own, a part of this that you kind of don't really own. Well, right. Like you own a, a mathematical proof that says, because I have this proof, I am the owner of it. Yeah. It's not really the same thing. Um, it's, mm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very I'm very old man about this, but uh, I am too, I guess. Yeah, I just uh, I I have concerns also about like long term implications for how this same kind of thing will be applied elsewhere, right? Like this mm-hmm. this feels like it's setting it's like another step toward the cyberpunk dystopia that we all are hoping desperately to avoid. Is it going to be like cyberpunk like Shadowrun or is it going to be like cyberpunk like 2077 where everything's janky? I think we all know the answer to that question. Okay. Just, <laughs> just confirming. Well, like, look, I mean, you, you, the thing about cyberpunk anything like as a genre is that it is dystopic, right? Things are not good. Everything is bad. Corporations own and run everything. Everyone's fucking miserable in the streets, right? Like, Cyberpunk is yeah. like cool as a fantasy world, but it's not something to aspire to. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So, like, to be clear, cyberpunk is bad, but um, like, you know, as, as far as like which flavor of of dystopian, awful corporate future, um, I mean, it technically probably leans more toward the Shadowrun side of things, but It's also, all, if anybody it's all, wants to play anything cool cyberpunk, just go play Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Fuck yeah, that's a good game. I mean, Human, Human Revolution too, but uh, that's a mm-hmm. little bit older. Mankind Divided is newer, and uh, I thought that game was rad. Both of those games are great. Yes. Love them. Uh, also, play the newer Shadowrun games. Those are also fun. <laughs> yeah, I actually just reinstalled uh, Shadowrun... Uh, the first one, whatever. Nice. That one's I don't even called. Remember what the subtitle on that is? Yeah, damn it. That's escape. Uh, returns. <laughs> Shadow Shadowrun returns. returns. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I tried playing one. it when it first came out, but like the, the art wasn't doing it for me then. Uh, I'm fine with it now. It seems. I I actually uh, did a, a big culling, of of my steam library over the weekend. Oh yeah. I loaded up a game and was like, uh, kind of, kind of, I, I've not actually seen it, but I'm equating it to like a Marie Kondo kind of thing. Like, am I having fun with this game? Yes or no? 
No. Okay. I'm just going to get rid of it. <laughs> this does not spark digital joy. Remove it immediately. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, the thing that I talked about like last week was like, if you don't enjoy a game, you don't have to play it. And That's true. Uh, one of those games was Project Cars 3. Uh, I, I've had it installed. I've been meaning to kind of like wrap up the campaign. And while I reviewed that game pretty well, um, either just right now I'm not into it or I'm d- I've just gotten my fill of that game. I, I just can't force myself to, to, uh, like do all of the races in it. Like that's just not nope. what I want to be doing. Nope. Sure. Ain't. Uh, but I went and played dirt five and I did all the race stuff there and that's super good fun. Uh, I loaded good. up Div- divinity original sin too. Uh, to pick that up again, and I was like, okay, I've got some time. Let's. Nope, I'm not having fun with this game. And <laughs> this one was more. I think. I think I have finally understood that I just don't like Larian games. I just don't like the games that they make. I don't like oh. how they make their games. Interesting. That's what it they're comes definitely, down to. They're definitely a very particular type of game. Yeah, I mean they're they're cornering a classic. RPG or computer RPG, CRPG style. And mm-hmm. there are games of that nature that I like, but I don't like the way that they do it. And that's what I've realized. I've played like an hour of Baldur's Gate 3, and I don't think I'm going to get into that one either. And that one's mainly because it's not like Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, in that they're going for turn based combat, whereas Baldur's Gate was paused with. With tactics mm-hmm oh so yeah I yeah so I guess I'm talking about games huh yeah it seems like we have naturally found our way there and that's rather convenient uh, rather than asking what you've been uninstalling recently <laughs> what I should ask you is what have you been playing so aside of the things that like I was trying to figure out what I wanted to keep uh, or get rid of um, I actually wrapped up Watch Dogs Legion uh, to oh. the campaign and all of the side uh, side mission stuff. And and how how has that left you feeling like now that you very good? You've, oh, okay. I I really enjoyed that game. I I like everything that that game is doing. I will say that I I liked Watch Dogs two more. But that doesn't mean this is is by like at all a bad game. This is a very good game. We gave it a four out of five. Uh, Ed reviewed it. I would concur with that. Like if I was reviewing it, that's the score I would have given it. Nice. It is a (laughs) very, very good, (laughs) very, very good game. Excellent. Uh, I'm glad to hear your time with it was enjoyable. (laughs) They pared down a lot of things from two though. Uh, Like there's barely any collectibles. which, I mean, it depends on the type of player that you are, like whether this is a problem or not. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting, like really playing that game and 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 like knowing how the prior games went. And like there's no concept of car ownership in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. You just have to have someone on your team who can summon a car or you can just steal a car. Because stealing <laughs> a car has virtually no consequences anyway. 
but for ease of use like if you just have someone who can just summon a car then it's it's <clears> definitely a lot easier especially if it's a car that you prefer to drive because i there know are... that when you say summon a car you mean like <laughs> you know you call it in but like i can't shake the image of like a fucking bullshit cybermancy like <laughs> like sequence of like you know a, a dead sec hacker like waving their arms around and pixels shooting out and then a car just materializing like saints row 4 style that would be cool i i'm i'm not gonna disagree i mean and i i still think someone is accurate only because you're not even like calling anybody you're just pressing a button like essentially in an app and it it, it appears instantly so uh, maybe you're not seeing the pixels maybe you're not seeing the the digital artifacts that make it appear but it, it there's some there's some shit happening to make it appear that quickly okay okay that's that's not nothing. Uh, them going to the like near future for all of this stuff, super smart. Love that. Uh, definitely the right direction for the series. I, so the whole reason like why I kind of held off on Watch Dogs in, in the first place was because I was under the impression that when they were doing the online mode that they were going to make the campaign playable in co-op. Right. So as, I thought that was a thing for think. us to do. Yeah, and I think we were both really looking forward to that. Yes, and turns out that they were just adding a regular-ass online mode, just like they've done in in the prior two games. Regular AF. I mean, there's a little bit of difference. Like, I, I'm not going to like discredit what's going on here, but essentially, though, you are running a, a separate campaign. Uh, you are going to yeah. recruit NPCs just like you do in the main game, in the single-player uh, and you'll be able to do missions and stuff with friends, but it's not the actual single player camp. It's not that single player story that you're going to experience. It's something completely separate. Sure. So since we're not going to do mess with the online shit, uh, with that, I just was like, well, okay, it's just time to finish it and uninstall it. Uh, they are doing some, like they're bringing the, Protagonist from the first Watch Dogs in an expa upcoming expansion. Aiden and Pierce. Aiden Pierce, the one and only. <laughs> Why do I know that from like immediate memory? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's a distinct name, I suppose. It kind of is. And then they're doing some sort of crossover with Assassin's Creed. Oh, right. Um, I mean, they've pretty much confirmed that. Watchdogs and Assassin's Creed exist in the same universe. Mm-hmm. They love to tease it. So now they're going to do something with it. So I mean, if it's if I hear good things about it, it would be maybe something I would reinstall because I have the season pass for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I spent about thirty hours with the game, and like I said, I did all of the story missions and I did all of the side missions. Side missions in some areas were were better than the main missions, but some of the main missions were awesome like just batshit ideas that like someone just probably threw out there when they were like yes we are going to do this <laughs> yeah um there's some kind of there's there's kind of like a sweet thing that happens i i really don't want to even hint at it because it's, it's just kind of best to be discovered as you play mm -hmm. um but there's a thing that happens where you spend a lot of time with someone in the game and then <laughs> there's kind of a backstory side mission that goes along with it at the end of the game and mm -hmm. it's just really satisfying it's really sweet 
Nice. I, I'm glad that they 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 built that out. That's cool. I mean, when you said sweet, I thought you meant it as in like this is wicked sick, bro. No, um, not 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 Bastin sweet. Just yeah. Uh, I, well, I mean, I, you know, because in in the in the very opening cutscene or sequence of of Watch Dogs Legion, like you see a pretty sweet Cybermancer face floating in the sky in front of you. That is uh, true. In a way that should not be. So um, I was hoping there'd be some sweet stuff like that. Uh, well, this game certainly loves its digital cyber projections of people. Yeah, and that's are they doing those great. with like with drones or something? Like, do they explain how they do it? Uh, it's just like cameras and lights uh, for the okay. most part, because like there are like there's like a hospital. I mean, this exists a lot of places, but I'm specifically remembering like a hospital and the the driveway to this like private hospital um, has an arch on it, but the arch. And then the arch says like what the name of the hospital is, but it's a digital hollow projection of the hospital name. Ah. And so you see it like you see like cameras and lights like making it happen. Sure, sure. So like the the few the near future version of smoke and mirrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, I I saw a lot of people kind of shitting on the game for like how kind of easy it is because in. 90% of the scenarios you can call in what's called a cargo drone and it's just this really large drone with like four uh, engines on it and it's a flat surface and you can just ride it and this will get you past pretty much any kind of security uh, like wall of any kind like you just go up mm -hmm. and over and you can almost fly almost to your destination do the thing and get out of there undetected in most missions hmm. but i think that's rad i also think that's rad like that's that's some super hacker shit right there that's that's the real business yeah or the the like the alternative is like you recruit someone who's really good at hacking and can like remotely disable the security fences and, and things like that that would otherwise trip uh yeah. you can uh recruit uh, an Albion security member and poses them, which allows you free mm -hmm. access into these areas. Mm -hmm. And so long as you don't run or do anything suspicious, you know, like Hitman, then you're going to be able to get in and out undetected, unscathed, no problem. So yep. it's just a matter of how you tackle these things. But the easiest and like quickest way is just to do the cargo drone thing and but sure that's just an option it doesn't have to be that way you can make it harder yeah. for yourself it's just an option yeah no like exactly like you can take that on in whatever way you or your hacker self would see fit like that seems that seems cool like if your hacker wants to or if you just as a player want to do things the more challenging way like everything is there in that game for you to to, yeah just to do it the hard way um <laughs> yeah and like you know sometimes you just want to get in a mission and get back out and that's okay it really is uh you know there's a lot of missions where it's you know you escort someone out or you know you do the thing and then it, tr it trips an alarm anyway and then you have to kind of like defend your position until you're done downloading the thing and mm -hmm. like it's 
not all that surprising. It isn't, but it's not at all bothersome either. Yeah. Uh, it definitely ramps up by the end. Like for as easy as it can be, the, like the, the final missions definitely are a bit of a challenge to get through. And that's where like at that point, all of your upgrade points are pretty much spent and you're pretty much on par with where the difficulty goes. Sure. That makes sense. But I, I do recommend it. I yeah. Personal favorite is Watch Dogs 2, but Legion definitely stands out. Especially just because you can recruit anybody, switch to anybody yes. at any time. Uh, so there, I mean, you, you get money in the game. The only reason you get money is just to buy clothes. It has no other purpose. You don't buy guns like you do in the prior games. You don't mm. do any of that stuff. I kind of really that. slimmed it down. And I do think... It's because of COVID. And then there's probably some sort of article hmm. somewhere that would probably align with that. But it does feel like because of COVID, they had to change a lot about how Legion was developed. Sure. And maybe stripped out some things that they couldn't quite get to. Well, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of quality of life improvements in Legion uh, over the previous two games, as you would mm-hmm. hope from a sequel. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I mean, it, is it seem at all possible that that was always the intent or does it really feel like just because there's literally nothing else to do with it that they had plans and it feels like well why is this even here uh it's hard to say i guess it's just more like there's so like because it is so pared down because there are like aren't these collectibles there aren't these shops to buy guns there's no customization there's no cars you can buy there's no garage to store your cars like because like all of these different systems that we've been used to are gone it just seems impacted otherwise. But if maybe this was their intent the whole time, then that's also fine. I much prefer where, like how this game is doing its things. It's just, it is just so drastically different in, sure. in the opposite way that Ubisoft usually goes for these kinds of games. Yeah, that's true. That, that it seems that way. Fair but enough. it is, for me, by no means a, a problem. I very much appreciate it. That sounds fairly enjoyable. I I uninstalled that. Did you? Because uh, I was like, I don't know when I'm going to play this, especially once you gave me the co-op news. I was like, uh, I'll, I'll reinstall this when I'm going to play it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, but I, I also, when looking at what other Uplay games or, excuse me, Ubisoft games I still have installed, like Immortals Phoenix Rising is still sitting on my hard drive because I still have intentions of playing more of that. Yeah, same. Um, also, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I installed on a whim after buying it, is still sitting around, just taking up 100 gigs. No big deal. Um, and I haven't touched that once since the initial time I fired it up, so I uh, <laughs> might, might reclaim that space. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I want to get through Immortals Phoenix Rising. It's just I was playing Odyssey at the time, and so those yep, two games yep. being so similar, it, I do think you have to choose one. Like, If you were having a lot of fun with Immortals, maybe get rid of Odyssey for now and just save that or both or you know whatever you want to do but like definitely you can't play both concurrently it just does not feel good one cannot um well and like yeah i don't know like you know you know how i am with open world games like i have to be really motivated to play one um Mm -hmm. and so i don't know um I, i still have to even go back and finish miles morales uh so Oh. I feel like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do anything of an open world scope, it's gonna be that in the near future. But yeah, um, you don't. Yeah, you definitely should. 
Yeah. And then and then we'll see what I can make room for in, in my open world slot. Like the one I can do one at a time, which is wild because I feel like there was a point in my life where I could probably juggle two or three of them at the same time. Um, but I also have a lot like I don't I don't have time to play for eight hours a day most days a week like I did when I was younger. So that might have something to do with it. I think, I think that's a. Uh... That's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. And well, what else? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. So the other thing that I, I wrapped up was Breathage. Ah, so it has an end. It does. Uh, I had a feeling it would, uh, given just how story focused it was. And it's pretty all right. I... I have some issues with it and I, and I see, I see why people uh, feel the way that they do about it. Um, I like, I've read some reviews and, and heard some things and can kind of con- confirm that. So you spent, there are six chapters in the game I found. And after the, after you start the fourth chapter, the game completely abandons all of the crafting or just about all of it. At least uh, they abandon the base building stuff, which was kind of a big part of the game. Like abandon it? Yes. That's so interesting. in chapter one, you're, you're getting acquainted to all of the crafting systems and, and like having like a, a spaceship to return to for air and doing the main part of the crafting. Yeah. And you get to chapter two and it's a, it's a bigger explorable area, but you still kind of have like a central place to return to. And then when you get to chapter three, now it's like fully open. Now you're able to place entire structures. So it's now you, you can place a habitat for like crafting and research. You can place a habitat for your living quarters. Mm hmm. And then decorate it from there. Yeah. So it's like placing beds, aquariums, posters, objects that you find in the world, like, or the world, but the, the playable space. <laughs> the space. Um, the, the space. <laughs> and like everything that you can like grab, you can just decorate with. And so you go through all of this and like, I spent a decent amount of time decorating and laying it out and making it like in a place that I would want to travel to and like was equidistant from all of the other places that I needed to go to that were like part of my tasks. And then I get to chapter four and it, it takes you to a completely different area. Like without really spoiling what it is, is you are transported to a different area of, of the crash site in this space. Okay. You don't go back to it. And so all of that work was for what? I, I wish I knew. I, I wish I did. I, I don't hate it, but I do feel like my time was wasted. Or, I mean, I wasted my own time. But I wish the game would have said, like, hey, this, you know, give you one of those warnings. Like, this is, this is kind of a point of no return of sorts. Mm-hmm. Like, we're mm-hmm. going to go somewhere new and you're not going to be able to come back to this place. Hmm. 
Well, and, and it's like, that's, that's an interesting choice given you can invest so much time into your base, right? And you can put all this energy and effort into customizing it and kind of getting it the way you want it. Um, yeah. And so at a certain point, like you get access to a map and you can go back to that place, but there's nothing to do there. Like there's nothing to gain by going back to it and, and utilizing your base or otherwise fully or further customizing it. Right. Like, cause so, at that point, like what's the, what do you, what, what's the point of doing that? Right there. I mean, there isn't there, there's really nothing because from chapter four onwards now, like there's still crafting and things that like require you to make things in order to progress the story, but like, there's no need for a base. You're finding a lot of indoor spaces to, to either restore your oxygen or a crafting table that will let you make the thing you need to make or make food and water to, you know, re restore anything that you would have lost over time. Yeah. And I just, it's weird. It just, it just goes from like this really open subnautica like to mm -hmm. this like really tightly packed linear story. And I'm mostly okay with that. I mean, I thought it was going to be a little more closely resembling subnautica. Mm hmm in that regard. So it was like, it was going to keep you on some sort of rail and some sort of progress towards an end, but I didn't think it was going to constrict so much. Yeah. Hmm. That's a, it's an interesting choice. Like it's really interesting. I know you talk about that game, having a narrative through line. Um, and uh, what is, was it Babe? Is that the name of the gigantic yeah. busty yes. space entity? Yes. So I don't know. Of all things to stick out in my memory, I can't imagine why that would be it. Um, but like clearly they're trying to tell a story, right? With everything you described from the last time we talked about this a few weeks ago. Yep. So it's like, okay, you have a story you want to tell, but we already have a really good example of how you can have a narrative in a game like this where you're exploring and surviving and building a base and not have to forego or like completely move away from all that work you've put in. Um, like you, these things don't have to be exclusive from one another, right? Like Subnautica Correct. is a really great blueprint for how to make this work. And, you know, I mean, I guess you got to experiment with, with different ways of trying things, but I don't know. Like that's, that's a weird way of undermining the player's experience, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I wonder about, I would love to, to kind of get a feeling from folks who've completed the story uh, or at least kind of reached the point that you have and, and, and figure out how people feel about just that choice. Right. Um, <laughs> Cause like, I don't know, I guess what's the alternative, you know, they, they don't pull you away from that. They wait until the very end of the narrative to, you know, kind of remove you from the situation. And there's a good narrative reason. I mean, it sounds like there's a good narrative reason for this, but not in the sense of like giving you closure um, or like kind of feeling like, okay, there's a good reason for me to leave this behind and not want to go back to it. Um, Cause like we're done now, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like it's, I don't want to say it's like a bait and switch, but on the flip side, it, it makes me think of something like the Martian, right. Or any story where you're, you know, marooned and uh, somewhere and trying to, eke out a living for a long period of time. And like, you kind of set yourself up in a place where you're creating the comforts of home and doing what you need to do to survive. And like, you know, the end goal was always to leave, you know? Yeah. Um, 
but maybe they don't handle that well. I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, they've, they've released some patches since it like reached 1.0 and like their latest update talks about the complaints that they've received about, you know, the, the back half of the game. Uh, they are going to be doing some like free DLC of sorts to the game. So they're going to be doing like an expansion of like one of them is going to be like, like a hardcore survival kind of thing. So it's going to mm -hmm. lean back into needing to have a base. And then there's going to be a more story focused kind of expansion to the game as well. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see what kind of manifests out of either of those two things. But they at least are aware that like people felt a little, and this is also not the right word, but bamboozled by things, you know, just, <laughs> no, they thought they I were getting we one need... thing and then it kind of changed on them. We need to use the word bamboozled as often as possible. Okay. Um, how much game is left after it takes you away from that? I, I'd say it's probably like a good even split. Like it took me about six hours to get through three chapters and then it was another six hours to, to do chapters four five and six. Wow. And so you're just, you're just doing other stuff at that point. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of places to explore and things to do. Uh, it, it gives you a lot of tasks. Yeah. Like a lot of things to do. Mm. Uh, some of mm. them are optional. Um, but you kind of like you can kind of tell which ones are and are not. And I was able to kind of at least help prioritize myself with those, what those were because because of the tagging system and the different colors. Mm -hmm. So I was able to at least like identify like, OK, I know these are like things that are going to progress the story. So I marked them in red. Secondaries were like orange. Um, and there were even like there are some kind of like tertiary ones where it's just like you stumble upon something and really all it is is it houses a blueprint. So like those I would mark in yellow. Yeah. Those kinds of things like um, just color coding all that stuff for organizational purposes was was helpful. Um, but it, it was still a very linear experience. Like, sure, I had this open space to traverse, but it was still like guiding me down a path. Yeah. I don't dis really dislike the game for any real reason, but it, like it definitely holds itself back from greatness because of what it does. Sure. That makes like, sense. It is, it is, I don't love it the way that I did Subnautica. I Wait. do like it. I do really like it, but I just don't love it. You know, it is, it is very funny. I, I, it's a game that like the humor will just either work for people or it won't. Uh, it does a lot of fourth wall breaking jokes and, and things like that. Like there's, there's moments where it's, you know, there's a, a moment where it seems like your spacesuit AI is going to turn against you, but then it, he's just like, oh no, it's just an air bubble. And you hear a sound effect of an air bubble passing. He's like, no, it's just an air <laughs> bubble. It's fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Like there's just little things like that, that, that are sprinkled out through, you know, the dialogue or things that happen in the game. And it's, this one's probably spoilery, but I, because I've drawn the parallels, I might as well do it. Do so it. So there's a point near the end of the game where you get in a ship and you transport and uh, things explode or you're about to escape or something and things explode and you get knocked out. Sure. And when you wake up, um, your ship is sparking and all of these things 
and you don't know what's going on and you take a risk and you you go outside your your ship and you see uh you see the big ship from subnautica in the water you're in the water on this planet and it's recreating the opening sequence to subnautica for fuck's sake <laughs> like the ship explodes in your face like everything and then and then you get knocked out again and when you wake up you're you're back to reality of sorts okay i see it's I see. It's, so it's really it's a, good it's a tongue-in-cheek okay very much so that's cool that's funny so they're they're very like aware then um at this point which is that's, that's good that's good that they're acknowledging it in that way yeah It's I so, I laughed a lot. I just it's good. definitely going to be those things like some people are just going to hate what kind of humor this game is doing. But I if I wasn't outright laughing, I was definitely just like smirking at it. Yeah, no, that's it's, it's cute. Uh, and that's pretty much all I've been playing. I really just wanted to wrap up Breath Edge because I knew that I was about like halfway and I just should finish it. And then Subnautica Below Zero is coming out in full next month. So I wanted oh to gosh. make sure that that was done with. Yes. That's exciting. Well, now you'll have like that fresh breathage perspective to take with you into Subnautica Below Zero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've played a little bit for preview. I did a little preview when it first came to early access. Yeah. I haven't touched it since. And that's just the way I like it. <laughs> Good. I mean, it worked so well with the first game with Subnautica because, like, I just, I, I played it in early access and I was like, yes, this is cool. I'm very much into it. And then I was just like, I can't play this anymore. I need to wait for it to be done. And I think yeah. I enjoyed it more because of that. Good. You should still finish it. Okay, I will. Fine, I swear. <laughs> I'll do it. Promise? like here here's how hard i'm gonna promise i will reinstall it as soon as we are done recording fair that is that gets me one step closer to being able to click back in and just go <laughs> you happy i i'm i'm content with that good i'm glad i can provide you with whatever that is <laughs> <laughs> uh that's that's about it for is what i've been playing okay What about you? Are you playing uh, anything new, exciting? Are you returning to some things? Well, you know, it's funny you ask because you have the show notes in front of you and you can see what I'm going to say. But um, that's, that's like the, the underlying joke, right? Is Yes. I'm pulling the curtain back. Um, I have still been playing a lot of Monster Hunter. Um, and that game is still really great. Um so like last week I talked a lot about like the approachability of the game and things that are new, like at a high level uh, and kind of talked about like some of the technical aspects. Um, what I didn't really get into was, you know, what the experience of playing this game is like as someone who's learning their weapon and like really getting into like the, the nitty gritty details of, of what it means to learn a monster hunter game. And what's your weapon by the way? So I'm using uh, a weapon called the insect glaive, um, which is basically a really fancy sword slash staff. It's like a sword staff. 
I don't know. You hit you hit things with it real hard and you, it goes spinny spin real fast. Um, but the the shtick with the insect glaive is you have a kinsect, <laughs> which is literally just like a bug that hangs out with you on your arm. It's very large. It's like a you, they're all kind of like beetles. Um, and the kinsect like augments your your attack and your abilities in different ways. And there's also like different kinds you can get that have different behaviors. But basically the gist of it is you you can when you unsheath your your big old blade you can also like fire your kinsect is, is kind of what the game refers to it as really you kind of just direct it to go attack a monster right and say go hit this guy and depending on where for for small monsters i think it's just they only can give you one of these three things um but for big monsters depending on where you hit it it'll give you an extract um and basically there's three different colors. There's red, white, and orange. So red is like an attack boost. White is a movement Vanilla. boost and, and move speed boost. And orange is your defense boost. Okay. Um, and, and they're a little more, there's more nuance to them than that, but that's like the high level of what they are. When you have two of any color, they, they kind of augment each other and boost each other in terms of their, eff, uh, their efficacy or effectiveness. Um, and then when you have all three, you get an even better boost to all three of their effectiveness. So as an insect glaive user, you really want to have all three of your boosts running at all times. Like you want to get all three colors of extract um, and you shouldn't even be attacking if you don't have your red one loaded. So I start oh, every really? fight by. Yeah, really, because like your moveset is hampered by not having it like you can you can hit stuff, but your really good combos are that are faster and harder hitting are all locked behind having that red extract loaded. And basically all that means is like you fire your kinsect off at the monster's head and then you, it comes back to you, you absorb the extract. Now you have the buff for like 60 seconds or whatever. Uh, and now your moveset totally unlocks. Um, and like there you can, you can feel the difference in, in what combat is like. And so it's not like you can't, uh, attack without it, but you just, for the big monsters, you really shouldn't be doing it. You're not really effective. Um, and so that kind of creates this interesting thing where every fight starts with me like running circles around a monster trying to get all three extracts as fast as I can. I have a type that'll get me two uh, at the same time. So uh, it's a lot faster and easier to get all three of them. Uh-huh. Um, but then and then the insect glaive is kind of a hilarious weapon because you have a lot of really hard hitting fast ground combos you can do and like a lot of your big damage you can still do on the ground. But it's also kind of widely known as the floor is lava weapon. <laughs> Uh, cause you can like pole vault yourself up in the air with it, like really high. And then you just have this whole airborne move set. So you have like these, like an air dodge, you have these air attacks that will close distance. And like, it's all about being able to stay up in the air and move around and change out your dodges and your attacks in sequence. So as long as you're, as long as your stamina bar is full, you can just stay up there. Um, and you can keep doing these aerial attacks. And then like, you know, the kind of the one, the main one that's when you're, you've got the red extract charged up does a ton of hits and then it revolts you back up in the air after you connect the last hit and that enables you to stay up more easily um mm-hmm. then you pair that with the wire bugs that the game has added oh, right yeah. which are like you know the acrobatic like things that let you kind of zip around um and those things you can use in the middle of your moves and like you can i don't think you can use them to reset a combo but um they also can you can use one in place of a vault which actually will get you up in the air faster um, so like with the insect glaive out, 
I can close massive amounts of distance in a short amount of time. I can escape from, from things really quickly. I can stay up in the air and do lots of damage without ever touching the ground. It's fucking hilarious and it's great. It's very fun. So do you, is there like weapon mastery as you continue to use your weapon or it is, is it just kind of the thing where you just get better at using it? So it's mostly that a lot of it is just, you know, you start to learn the, the nuances of working with a weapon and like some weapons in the game are admittedly much easier to learn. Um, and it's more about just learning what your combos are. The insect glaive is very much, it's, I don't want to say it's more of a technical weapon. Um, cause there, I think there's weapons in monster hunter that are significantly more technical, but it definitely is more, there's just more to do, right? There's more to it than just hitting stuff. Um, and so you don't unlock like weapon mastery skills. It's more about unlocking more powerful versions of weapons that have higher damage output. Um, there's versions that there's also the concept of sharpness in monster hunter, which if you played a monster hunter game, you kind of know what this is, but basically your weapon loses sharpness as you hit things with it. Right. Um, so the damage, the base damage goes down as the sharpness decreases. I like that um, mechanic, especially I, I over durability. Yeah, I think it's really fun. Um, it's a, it's a cool way to, uh, it's a cool way to, to kind of like have a durability like thing, but without it being a huge pain in the ass because you can sharpen at any time out in the field. It's not like you have to go back to camp and do it. Um, so yeah, it's more about like you learn the nuances of, of how your weapon works. You learn effective strategies for using it. You learn how to combine those with, uh, or how to use them against a particular monitor monsters attacks monitors. What is a monitor? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And it's like a monster I, hunter miner. Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. No, no monitors allowed in this establishment after 8 PM. <laughs> uh, um, and, and, and yeah, so like it's, you just get better at it, which I kind of like, I don't know. I, I've grown, I didn't used to like this as a player, but as a player, I actually really like games where the progression happens within your heart and your mind, <laughs> right? <laughs> the power was within you all along. Um, I don't know. Like it's, I, I like that. I don't have to unlock a whole skill tree to get better at a thing and to have more things available to me. Right. I like that. I learn it and just am better at it and I can feel myself being better at it and my effectiveness in battle going up. Um, that being said, there is a concept of, uh, what's called switch skills. Um, I don't know why they call them this, um, but they're basically special the moves. Move. Yeah, probably that, right. It's probably brand synergy, uh, at its finest. <laughs> um, they're basically special moves. Uh, and you unlock more, I think you unlock three slots of switch skills and you unlock three skills per slot. Uh, and so those can start to combine in some very interesting ways that expand your moveset even further. Um, and I'm, I, I'm at a point where I have to keep ranking my hunter rank up and get through harder and harder fights before I can unlock the quest that will let me get my final set of switch skills. And I guess like the third tier of those is what really makes the insect glaive like kind of insane in terms of, you know, the aerial mobility and also like uh, does you know more damage dealing. Um, so I'm very excited to get to that point and see how that may or may not affect my play style. Um, but I guess that's the other thing too, is like your relationship with monster hunter ends up being very impacted by the weapon that you choose or the weapons that you often play with. Right. Cause combat can play out in very different ways depending on what you're using. So like if you're a dual blades user, which is a very popular choice because they deal tons of damage, that's very, 
you know, cut, 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 cut style weapon, right? Like you just, you're just hitting stuff a lot really fast. Um, and there's strategy to it, but you know, like if you just want to be the one doing a lot of high damage output, uh, and if you want to be dealing that damage quickly, dual blades are a great choice. Um, but you know, insect glaive is, is a totally different thing where I'm like managing buffs for myself and I'm learning how to chain these aerial moves together and like zipping around over the heads of the other players in a hunt with me and kind of learning how to be super mobile and track a monster's movements, even in the middle of combat um, and getting better, better, more practiced at that, which is surprisingly fun. Um, it's also got a, like a kind of a hidden move in this game where did I talk about wall running and like scaling walls uh, last week? I feel like you did. I did. I talked about how the levels are built really, really vertically and there's a ton of exploration you can do. So, you know, by default, like you just use your wire bugs to launch yourself up to a wall and you, you can run up any wall in the game practically um, with a few exceptions. It turns out the insect glaive can just climb walls um, without using up the wire bugs and without like the, the massive stamina use that wall running uses. Okay. Um, so yeah, you can just basically like you, you vault yourself up in the air and you use your dodge move and it just fires you right at the wall. And then you lodge, like you just stick the blade into the wall, into the rock face. It can just hang out there until you're ready to keep going. And so then you can rapidly like jump, dodge, jump, dodge, jump, dodge up any cliff face you want. Um, okay. Which is sort of silly and not as fast as say other ways of getting up. But, uh, if you're trying to climb something really big, it's pretty useful. So, um, so are you saying that this is the best weapon in the game? Your unbiased I mean, opinion that is the best. My, weapon yeah, in the my game? unbiased opinion is that Insect Glaive is is definitely the best Monster Hunter weapon, hands down. Um, there's there's really just no other choice. So, um, <laughs> I, I have been thinking a lot about that a lot. Like, gosh, at some point I should start checking another weapon out uh, just to do it. Um, but I also think that might be something better saved for like a second playthrough uh, when it comes to Steam next year, right? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Um, we we will see. Plus, it's like it's weird, like harvesting materials and and spending time like upgrading the weapon tree for one thing and then switching gears. But I guess it's a good way to add a lot of replay value to a game, right? And you say, okay, well, I'm going to learn what this one does now. Let's pick something else super weird. Um, yeah, it's, that game's good. Um, I, I do think I'm now in the high rank hunts, right? Which is, um, so high rank hunts are, are multi, like technically they're the multiplayer hunts. They're not the single player ones. Um, you okay. can solo them. You, you can absolutely solo them. And I have been soloing the high rank ones and it basically is new game plus and it's kind of starts over. That's not totally accurate, but like it, it restarts the monster progression tree again. And okay. so you kind of you start back over at the same monsters you're fighting in the beginning, but they're they're they have more health. They hit harder. They have new attacks that they can do uh, and they're dropping different kinds of items and everything. All like a lot of the harvesting points in the world are dropping different uh, items that are higher tier. And you need all those things to craft new gear and the crafting starts over from the base again. So, you know, like the the weapon and armor progression in those games is always like, OK, you start with the basic like, you know, hunter's version of these things right that's kind of what the base version is called and you work your way up to all these different types of weapons and armor influenced by the monsters you're hunting and their materials that they drop and so that that all that starts over well at least for for armor it starts over um but the stats on everything are way higher than like the highest tier that you can do in the low rank right so 
uh, you're, you kind of start the progression, the gear progression over again, but the numbers start going up a lot faster and the stuff you can do is way cooler. Um, <laughs> so it like that doesn't feel. Sounds great. Yeah, well, like, it could go either way, right? Yeah, like it could either be like the slog that like just drains you, but I mean, at least the way that you say it, it, it does sound like that's ideal. Like that's exactly how you want to be playing this and that's what you want to be doing. Yep, exactly. Like there's, there's, it's not just like a reset for the sake of doing it. Like the, it actually feels meaningful. Um, and so that's cool. I, I do think, I'm not sure yet, but I think I'm going to, there's a possibility I may be having to grind monsters a little more than I was in the early game uh, in order to be building some gear. And so that's maybe not ideal, but the multiplayer aspect of this makes that really easy, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, because if you want to, you can start a quest, you can initiate a multiplayer quest from the outset by yourself and have people join your session as you're working on it. Uh -huh. uh, and if you want like the full experience of taking a monster down for the first time, I think that's a good way to go. But then if you just want to farm that monster, you could search for a quest in progress on that monster already and pop in. And usually you'll get one that's at least halfway through killing it. And so oh. <laughs> you can you can get some freebies if you're if, if you're just trying to farm. Um, that actually can, it can it doesn't have to be painful. Um, and people don't seem to mind that because like, hey, look, you know, everyone wants another hand at killing a thing. So. Uh, the more people, the better, I would say. Like, no one's ever going to be mad at you for showing up at the very end when they only had three people out of four, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm digging it, man. It's really got its hooks into me. And, like, no, no Monster Hunter prior has managed to, to get me to stick with it. Um, but I think part of it's like a, just a right game, right time sort of situation. Yeah. But, <sighs> I feel like there was another thing I wanted to talk about with this, but um, it's escaping me now. I just, I'm just having a blast. I'm, I'm even more excited to see if they do like a major like visual overhaul for the steam release. Oh, I know what we should talk about. We should talk about the, ah, we should talk <laughs> about the tidbit that you shared with me the other day that made me very irritated, um, which is, Maybe you, you do you want to set this up? I don't remember what it was. I'll remember as okay. soon as you say it, but I've completely forgotten. Yeah. So do you remember what the uh, <laughs> I was talking about it last week? Even um, do you remember what engine is powering this game? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the mean, RE engine. Yeah. The Resident Evil engine. Yeah. About that. Um, <laughs> it turns out. The RE engine, and, and I know this because you shared it with me. I want to make sure you get the credit for this. Um, <laughs> RE engine doesn't stand for Resident Evil engine, even though it is the new engine Capcom made for Resident Evil 7. Which I guess technically makes sense because it's like Biohazard in Japan, but the subtitle in Japan was Resident Evil. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, RE engine actually is Reach the, for the Moon engine. And the RE comes from the first two letters of the word reach, which is why the logo for the engine is a hand reaching out to a crescent shape. Um, I think that's some bullshit. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel you like you want it to be bullshit, but this is just fact. Well, no, it's fact, but I think, I think it is a bullshit fact. Like I, I am mad at them for this. Like, you know, oh, that they knew what they for, were doing for okaying that this is what RE engine should stand for. 
they knew what they were doing when they named it this. Like, come on. It's cheeky as hell. Like, oh, it's not the Resident Evil engine. It's this other thing. Reach for the moon. Anyway, uh, I am hopeful that they will do like a properly, like beautifully up-resed, like high poly, high texture resolution version of this game uh, for the PC release. And then I will gladly play more of it because um, I bet it would be gorgeous. This is like the only thing that's sort of a bummer about playing on the switch is like the 30 frames a second rate while on switch is very impressive for the visual fidelity you're getting. It's still just like, particularly if I, if I have it docked and if I'm playing it on my monitor, like I see those low frame counts um, and it hurts that that's a frame rate pun. That it is. I liked it. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend it. I think if you have a shred of interest, like you got to download that demo and try it. Uh, and that's not, I'm not just saying that to you, like just to anyone, like it is, I don't know, man. It's just, it's something special and it's only sold like 5 million copies so far and counting. That's it. Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> Doesn't sound very popular. I mean, it's been like, it's been out for what? Two weeks, barely, not even two weeks. And it's sold over 5 million. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Especially for like they're doing everything release. right there. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think I think I guess what I would say is like if if this one doesn't click for someone, I don't know what they can do. Like th I think what that just means is like the Monster Hunter probably isn't for you, right? Like I think this is I know we talked about the whole issue of is this easy for new players to the series to to get into? Um, and it, you know, it, the onboarding problem that monster hunter has always had still exists, but I mm -hmm. think there's enough quality of life stuff in here and enough systems have been polished and streamlined that like, you know, there's, there's better opportunity to dig in with this one. Um, okay. And so, yeah, like I think if, you know, at some point it's a matter of, yes, this game could do a better job of tutorializing the primary gameplay loop. However, there are lots of good resources out there and lots of like most of us probably have a friend who plays monster hunter at this point, uh, as it continues to rise in popularity in the West. Right. So indeed, um, like I, I think the opportunities for, for getting in there are, are great here. So if you, if it's either like if, if someone bounces off of this, it's either that monster hunter just isn't the right game for you or they need to, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know how they're going to polish it any further. Like they, they could do more quality of life stuff, but like there's, there's, it feels like there's only so much more they can do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's okay if monster hunter isn't anyone's thing, right? It's just, uh, it just, it just feels like wrong. <laughs> well, is that I what you're getting at? No, no, no. That's, that's never what I would say. Um, it's just like, there's there's just only so much like you got to meet the game. This is a game you have to meet halfway, I think, uh, if if you are trying to understand it and get your head around it. And to be fair, this is probably the fourth Monster Hunter game I've actually tried. Um, and, and it actually does sort of make me want to go back and and play world a little bit more um, or maybe Iceborne. Well, I never I never even got up to high rank in world. So um, mm. I'm it might be hard to go back to missing some of the things that 
rises improved upon but um anyway it's good you should play the demo everyone should play the demo if you're interested at the the very least at the very least just just check it out just see how see how it hits you um i mean then so like not to 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 hijack here but like that's a very important distinction to to be aware of um just as a consumer but maybe a little more importantly as a reviewer is knowing whether a game is just not for you or it's just a bad game. Yes. Yes. That is a very important distinction. Um, and, and I, I think feel I one. wasn't able to discern that type of thing until I, you know, was very much into adulthood. Yes. Agreed. That's an, that's an easy trap to fall into. I think just for anyone, right? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, well I don't like this. So it's, it's unequivocally bad right it's shit as opposed yeah is what people would say this game sucks um and and in fact like you know as a particularly as you learn to hone your critical eye like you learn you you are able to see like yeah this is a good game i just don't like it personally or like it doesn't speak it doesn't make me want to play it or i don't enjoy playing it but i can see all the reasons why it has merit right yeah um yeah so and like and i think this this particular discussion is extra relevant with a game like monster hunter because it has been such a, it's not been a divisive game, but it's just been a hard thing for people to get into. Um, so, and then there's actually, there's a lot of games out there that way. Like any, anything that you're going to put a lot of time into, right. You got to spend time learning the systems, but, um, like I I'd say like even, even with world, it was very clear that that was a very good game, right? It just, I wasn't in a place where I could meet it where it was, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I think I, so when I got a 3DS, I think I got Monster Hunter Generations and I tried that. And the only thing that really kind of put me off on that game was just its performance there. Like it just, Oh yeah. That was not a fun time. No. And in fact, like the, the notion that there were, uh <laughs> the notion that there were as many you know DS and 3DS Monster Hunter games as there were is kind of wild to me. <laughs> um I get I think actually I think the new 3DS could run that at 60 FPS maybe. I okay. might be lying about that. Uh I, I probably I'm I don't don't listen to me. That's probably wrong. Um I oh, won't. Hey fun fact. Um for for years I've been calling it the NT framework, like the old Capcom engine. It's MT, right? It's it's very definitely MT. Womp womp. MT stands for multi-thread and meta tools and multi-target. It's just it's everything. Capcom just really likes to name their engines two letters and then a word. But yes, it's any MT thing. <laughs> it's any MT thing you want. <laughs> Um, I'm going to talk in circles if I talk about Monster Hunter much more. Well, it the sounds like th- it's good if you, if you did. Yeah. I mean, look, I could talk about it for a long time. I really could. And I'm not going to put everyone through that. Um, suffice it to say, I think it's a good game and I'm enjoying it. So there you go. Uh, I have been checking out Yakuza 6 on the PC. Um, Yakuza 6, the song of life. <laughs> Does this mean uh, that is, you have every Yakuza game installed on your PC right now? I do not have every Yakuza game installed. I do own every Yakuza game that is available on the PC. 
Damn, dude. <laughs> uh, I have I have collected them all. Now they just have to bring Judgment over and those other two yes. like feudal Japan offshoots, and then then I can really have the full set. Um. So I had not really done much of my homework on Yakuza Six. Like I knew, I know that it's like the end of uh, Kiryu's Kiryu? narrative arc. Uh, I always want to call him Ryu, and it's it's really Kiryu. Um, I mean, I think some people call him Ryu, right? Maybe I. Mm, not actually, sure no, that. I don't think they do. It's more likely Kazama-san. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's the end of Kiryu's arc, and that's kind of the only thing I knew. Um, I learned through playing this on the PC that Yakuza 6 was the first game in the Yakuza series to use the newer Dragon Engine, uh, which I guess, oh, I know Kiwami 2 uses it for sure. I can't remember if, I think Kiwami 1 is on the Yakuza 0 engine, whatever that is, which is a different thing. Um, so, So Yakuza 6 and Judgment and Kiwami 2 all use the Dragon Engine. And then Like a Dragon, which is, you know, technically 7, um, is the newest game to use it. Um, but it is, like, it's been such a stark difference even just playing Yakuza 0 and Yakuza Like a Dragon, right? And seeing, like, how different those games feel uh, and the quality of life improvements and the also the massive visual fidelity improvements that exist in Like a Dragon. Mm. Um, but now playing 6 on the PC it's very obvious to see where the roots of those improvements come from. Um, cause it, it feels very much like, like a dragon while you play it. Um, like animations kind of work the same way. Lighting is, is very similar. Um, and the visual fidelity is, is really fantastic. And like what, this was a PS4 release originally, right? Um, yeah, I think so. In 2016 is when it came out. So this is a five-year-old game. But this PC release looks really, really, really good. And I don't know how much work they have done um, to support higher resolutions, but like it's solid, man. Like and it and it runs like it maxes out my monitor's frame rate at 165. No problem. Um, huh. if, in most cases, like it is, you know, with everything fully cranked as, as you would want, um, it's uh, it's working hard and it's looking good. And this is a very, very solid port of this game. And it's not too surprising because the work that um, that Sega has done on bringing all these titles over to the PC has been very good. Uh-huh. Um, but still, it's just like it's cool to see six, which is, you know, the newest, the second newest mainline entry in the series finally make its way over here and kind of see the roots of what was being done with like a dragon in terms of its, its tech. Um, and sort of, it's hard to say cause I never played the original release. Um, but my hunch is they probably took a lot of what they did for like a dragon and, and kind of backported some of that tech or, or re-implemented sixes assets. Um, I would think like surely they must've brought some things back in. Um, sure. Cause it looks very good. It's definitely not as high of quality as like a dragon is in terms of like poly count on f- models and, um, you know, like some of the textures are not quite as rich, but that's just like your original assets there. Right. Um, yeah. And that's fine. Like it overall, like it's, it's a, it's sharp. It's good. And, um, you know, for, for having large gaps in my knowledge of the Yakuza story, uh, Six's story looks like it's uh pretty 
it, it gets off to a, a good start. Um, and it's different from, it's not what I would have expected, but also like, I guess after, you know, six, no, seven games featuring Kiryu, um, maybe not all that surprising. <laughs> uh, you know, spoiler alert, like Kiryu is, Kiryu is an adoptive father, right? Like he's, right. he's taking care of kids. So, you know, because of time in every man's life when he wants a higher purpose. And, uh, that's when you, that's when you get yourself some kids, <laughs> even if you're a Yakuza. That's, that's how it happens. That's just, that's just facts. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a ridiculous blanket statement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the point, isn't it? That is the point. Yes. Just, just so we're clear. Um, it's mostly, it's mostly been monster hunter, but you know, checking out Yakuza six. Um, that's, that's kind of it. That's been my gaming life for the past week. Sounds like a good mix of things though. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, I've got some other stuff I gotta be putting some time into over the next few days as well. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, tis the season, man. Games are starting to, to fire off again. Like things yeah. are coming out. Yeah, they are. And that's, that's both good and bad. Also good, yes. good if you like games, bad if you don't have time or are trying to, to clear out a backlog or both <laughs> or both. Yes. Uh, shall we discuss some news? Yeah, let's let's dive in in news of God damn it. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, there is a rumor that is going around as of today, the day we are recording which is that Xbox may be publishing Kojima Productions' next game, um, which is pretty significant as far as rumors go, considering that Sony was like a fundamental part of Death Stranding happening and existing, <laughs> and Kojima still having a studio technically. Um, I, I I saw another thing uh, today, even that Death Stranding has sold a lot on PC. Like I think even more than yeah. PS4. Yeah. I think it's been a very popular game on the, on the PC, which doesn't surprise me that much. I think there's, that's, I think PC gamers are like probably maybe even have more of an appetite for a super weird game like that. Um, and it's a bigger market probably. Well, actually, no, that's, that's probably not true at all. Um, I think, I think ugh, I'm just kind of saying shit at this point, but yeah, say some shit. Historically, games made by Hideo Kojima have not been on PC or readily available on PC. Uh, so, with the exception of Metal Gear Solid Five, uh, yes, they have not yeah. been easy to get on the PC. So I think with how Five turned out and all that, I I think also there's an appetite for that. Like the, there's just people yes. who want more Kojima and are just ready to show them that like PC gamers want this. We want yeah, absolutely. your games here. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I, I fact checked myself really quickly. So as of 2019, the install base of the PlayStation four was estimated around 112.6 million units. Um, so that's a lot, right? Yeah. And that's worldwide. Uh, comparatively speaking, as of, uh, 2020 steam had approximately 120 million monthly active players. So oh, wow. in, the install bases are pretty close. 
Um, the audience size is pretty pretty similar. The difference, of course, is your discrepancy of, of hardware capability is much wider on the PC. So it's hard to say how many people have hardware on Steam, for example, uh, capable of playing Death Stranding at a reasonable performance and visual quality. But I think the argument is there that, like, there is a, a big audience, right? Um, and And like you said, I think people are hungry for Kojima's stuff especially after getting a taste of it with metal gear. Um, yeah. And PT, I think kicked people into a fervor, right? Like that is like legendary status at this point. Um, so, so yeah, like the appetite is real. Uh, so yeah, like there's, I mean, this is, this is so early on in the rumor cycle. There's not a whole lot to go on. Um, but it sounds like there is a strong possibility that Xbox is courting Kojima uh, for an upcoming exclusive title. So who knows what that means? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's really interesting that there's kind of a, a shift in platform alignment for Kojima, but that's his choice. And he's been someone who's been kind of, locked down from things over the years that now with complete freedom, he's going to to do everything that he wants to do. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and good for him. Like, you know, after 30 plus years at Konami, like why wouldn't you just entertain whatever offers make sense? Um, I'm a little surprised. Well, I shouldn't be. I was going to say, I'm a little surprised that Sony didn't strike up a multi-game contract with him. Um, but on the other hand, like, you know, whatever his next thing was going to be after Metal Gear and after Konami was probably going to be a gamble, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just interesting. It'd be a very surprising thing to me for him to kind of enter into these negotiations so shortly after Death Stranding. And when you would assume Sony is trying to court him uh, for exclusivity again. So maybe they are, and maybe Microsoft just has a ton of money to throw around. I don't know. Uh, they seem to, as recent <laughs> acquisitions would would suggest. That's true. What would be like your wish list? What would be your prediction of like what this could be? What would you like envision this Gosh. Xbox partnership be for publishing? Well, is it something as simple as a Death Stranding two or? No. I think it's. I think it's. It's going to be new IP. Um, I think it's. Because my guess is Sony probably has first right of refusal on on future Death Stranding games if they want to continue that IP. Um, And Kojima probably wants to keep experimenting with different shit would be my guess, right? Like he's been making Metal Gear for so long. Like, you know, he'll, he'll do whatever he feels like. But I would not be surprised to see him really want to explore. He's probably got loads of ideas floating around in his head, right? So... I would think new IP, something totally different, but still very on brand for, for a Kojima game. Uh, beyond that, like I have no idea. Cause if there's one thing Death Stranding showed us, it's like, you can't predict how weird his <laughs> shit's going to get, you know? Yeah. Um, it'd be cool if he managed to pursue like a horror game, like considering what he was supposedly going to do with, with PT and, and what was supposed to be silent Hills. Um, 
that'd be neat to see him go back there in some way, even if it's it's probably not going to be a Silent Hill game because Konami, but um, that that might be interesting. I don't know. But also, we saw in Death Stranding how there was so much Metal Gear DNA in it still, uh, not just from like a, this is a weird game with weird story and hilarious character names sort of standpoint, but even in just like player locomotion and mechanics were so similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, they were. Um, like controlling Sam, yes, it was unique in a lot of ways, but it still felt so much like controlling Venom Snake uh, from Metal Gear Solid Five that, like, you know, there's a feel there, right? And maybe that was an easy way for them to get something done faster. It was to build on what they already had, uh, whatever they were able to to keep or or, or carry over. But, um. Asking me to predict what an, an upcoming Kojima game is like, you know, asking me to predict when the next asteroid is going to hit the earth or I don't know, something even more outlandish than that. Like I just, you can't, <laughs> can't go there. I know it's, it's a tough question, but it's being recorded. And if, if it happens, then we, then we have it on record. Great. Said it. We have it on record that I did. I refuse to give a straight answer. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Horror would be cool. I mean, he does stealth action really well. He's really good at it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, w- I would keep playing Metal Gear Solid titles till the end of time. So if if Microsoft wants to acquire that IP from Konami, then please, and by all means, uh, do it. Just no more Metal Gear Survive ever or anything like it. Did you ever play it? Fuck No. <laughs> Didn't need Just hated to. it on principle. I mean, I watched, you know, I watched uh, enough gameplay video of of people playing it after release to know that that was not something I was interested in. And that it was objectively probably not a very good game. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh. I, I've been seeing a lot of people saying release the Kojima cut of Metal Gear Solid 5. God. I I, uh, I was one of those people who was hanging on Reddit for like a good two months after the game came out, like reading all the conspiracy theories and hoping that maybe there was going to be a DLC or some kind of extra release that would unlock the fabled episode of 51. And uh, obviously that wasn't going to happen, but like the fact that there are videos of cutscenes that you can, I think they're in the special edition, right? Like on an extra disc, like there's videos of stuff that they were going to make that they didn't make <laughs> like early versions, early renders of cutscenes from later in the game that actually provided a proper ending. Like, fuck. Oh, five, five could have been the greatest metal gear unequivocally. Um, it was pretty I'm damn good. T- even as disjointed as it was, dude, absolutely. Like from a gameplay perspective, easily the most fun one. Uh, and I say that as like a diehard fan of the series and like, you know, I have reverence for, for all of them for different reasons, but like that game with, yeah, that game was still very good. Um, but it could have been the best one in every way. Uh, the, the back third, the whole third act, if you can even call it that is, is all over the place. (sighs) Now I'm just sad about metal gear (laughs) moving on. (laughs) <laughs> read the next one uh so yeah uh during uh a live stream podcast questions were were posed to 
to the development team uh, at Respawn about Apex Legends. And people are wanting to know if there's ever going to be like a, a tighter connection in the lore between Titanfall and Apex Legends because it's, you know, very clearly been, you know, bringing in things like the Leviathans and certain things here and there that very much directly tie these games together, but there's never been anything like really in your face. Yeah. Um, but the game director, Chad Grenier said, we bring a lot of things from Titanfall into the game almost every season, but next season, season nine, you're actually going to see a ton of Titanfall coming back to the game in one way or another. So if you're a Titanfall fan, hang on for season nine, he says. I want to know what Titanfall things, what, what, like, what does a ton of Titanfall things every season mean? I, I would love for him to elaborate on that. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, really the weapons have always just kind of been there and yeah. the Leviathans have always just kind of been there. Yeah. So yeah, I don't really know what they mean by we bring in a lot of things from Titanfall into the game almost every season. Yeah. I don't, I don't quite get that one. I don't either. So, I mean, there's speculation that, that the next character that is playable is going to be just a pilot or like some sort mm -hmm. of veteran pilot. Mm -hmm. um, there's also like hopes and dreams that their ultimate is going to be calling for a Titanfall drop. But um, this news piece actually talks about the fact that they've, that respawn have said many times that they will never do Titans in apex legends. Womp womp. Put BT so in best, the game. <laughs> at best, we... Oh, yeah. We need more robots. Yeah. I mean, we've got a good robot. We've got a bad robot. Yeah. Now well, we need a, need a lovely robot. <laughs> Ooh. BT is a lovely robot. BT is a lovely robot. Well, I guess we'll see. That'd be cool. Like, it'd be neat if it's a pilot. Um, it, I guess the question is, like, you know... When they say a ton of Titanfall, <laughs> there's just so many ways you could take that. Uh, yeah, for sure. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a new map and you can see Titans fighting in the distance or something. I don't know. Like it's. But is that what anybody wants though? It's not. And, and look, I get it. Like Titans could totally ruin that game, um, de depending on how they implement it. And so, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what to make of it, but it's interesting. I think it just makes me feel like it's it's amazing that and wonderful that Apex has had so much success. It makes you sad about Titanfall's and Titanfall 2's multiplayer success not being more long-lived. Yeah. I do think that there was a bit of a resurgence uh, for both of those games when they came to Steam, though. That's uh, true. Remember when Titanfall 1 came out and it was 40 gigabytes and that blew our minds <laughs> that because was it was the much. first game and that was too much and now <laughs> now everything's 40 gigabytes and we don't even think anything of it. So Steam database says Titanfall 2 has 1,000 players currently in game and you have to I presume do. that almost all of them are multiplayer. You would assume, yeah. That's enough to find a match. And I'm, so, I mean, that's only tracking Steam. So, I mean, that's not including the fact that you will also interface with people who are exclusively playing on Origin on PC. Right. That's true. 
There's no cross-platform, though, but... Mm, I need to rebuy this on Steam next time it's on sale. <laughs> Show support for these indie developers? Yeah, exactly. Show support for Titanfall. So they'll make more of them. Like, I wonder if Apex's success, like, hampers the ability of a Titanfall 3 to exist, or if it helps them make the case to make it. Um, like, would people be willing, more willing to come to that game and play multiplayer because Apex has been so good. But those... I feel like it breaks even. Like it both helps and hinders it at the same time because it's like, yeah, yeah, you could make this, but look at how much money this game's making. Make this. Right. Just keep doing this. Keep doing more of that. It's, I mean, they're different enough that, yeah, I don't know. It, it, like you said, it could help or hurt it. I just want, I, Fuck it, man. I just want another Titanfall campaign because the campaign in two was so good. Yeah, it was. I don't, I don't like, it takes a lot for me to really get hyped and love a shooter campaign. And that one was just excellent. Really, really good shit. They really f- cracked the formula on like how to do it different, how to make it engaging and just how to mm-hmm. make it so memorable. Yes. Yes. Lots of good memorable moments in that. I And I need to play that again. Well, I look forward to seeing what happens with season nine of Apex. We need to go back and play that game. We haven't done anything with it since season eight started. Yeah, that is true. We keep saying we're going to do it and we don't do it. We could do it anytime. You're right. We could. There's a lot of things we keep saying we need to do and we don't do. So I don't know. Time is the worst. (laughs) Uh, Time sucks. Time sucks. Let's get rid of time. (laughs) Let's never have time again. Please. I think I think we're on to something really good here. <laughs> um, so let's see. The Metroid Prime 2D project was like unveiled, which is not an official thing at all, of course. Um, it is a group of fans who have been working on a two-day two that yeah, two-day 2D remake <sighs> of Metroid Prime in the style of the older like side-scrolling uh, Metroid games. And I don't remember how much of the game is in this demo, but I've watched the YouTube video that shows like 20 minutes of it. Yeah. And it's very, very cool and impressive because it's like, it is totally old school Metroid like SNES era, but with better lighting effects and really nice animations. Uh, and it's it's Metroid Prime like it's you like I recognize some of the locations and the stuff they're doing and the way that they've translated Metroid Prime's 3D environments into these 2D rooms is very cool. Um, and the way that they even translated like some boss fights over and like it is such a neat way to reimagine that game. Um, and I love the Metroid Prime games like I really think they're great. Um, and I just I really hope that. Nintendo doesn't shut it down. I mean, uh, another Metroid Prime 2, or another Metroid 2 Prime, god damn it, Prime, Prime, Prime. Another Metroid 2 remake uh, still exists. M2R. Yep. Yeah. Uh, And like, gosh, like Nintendo even DMCA'd that project a couple times, I think, and AM2R is actually still out there. Yep. How do you... Still being updated as well. I wonder how they got around this. It's interesting. 
like Nintendo is notoriously litigious for shutting like for about things like this and for about I, I you can tell I'm getting tired. My brain's not working. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know how AM2R is surviving. So there must be some. There must be some loophole that they're using legally to keep going. And so maybe Prime 2D is uh, kind of able to get by on the same thing. I don't know. Well, I mean, there's also that Super Mario 3D PC port that still exists. I mean, yeah. it's hard to get, but it like it's it is also being updated. Yeah, and that's an interesting one as well. And I'm I'm even I'm more surprised Nintendo's not going after that one harder. And, and I don't know if it's that they just don't care anymore, or if they don't see those things as actively like hurting the business. And maybe they've. Like, you know, the best outcome of this would be internally they've understood that, like, you know, attacking these things that don't actually affect our bottom line is not winning us any favors with our audience, right? Like, that's, I doubt that that's the case because, like, few companies are that chill about it. But, like, it's it's interesting that, like, I expected this demo to be off, like, scrubbed from the internet within 24 hours. And it's still yeah. up. Like, you can still get it. Um so that means either they're taking their time or they don't care or they, because of how it, the project is being made, there's nothing they can do. I don't know. But uh, it's yeah, cool. I just, yeah, they should continue to leave them alone. Works for I me. agree. I agree. And meanwhile, Nintendo should make a new Metroid Prime game. Like, I don't know, four. Like, they should actually make that. Yeah. It's, I mean... I get this feeling that they've announced it, but they did. They did. Like there's a logo. You can pre-order it. On. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I ruined your bit. It's fine. It wasn't going to be that good anyway. No, dude, they totally did. Oh yeah. I, you miss I, that? I really want Metroid prime four. Like that's probably one of the other reasons why I keep a switch around. It's a good reason to, it's inevitable that they will release. Um, we got one left here on the list. I will yep. let you do this. So it was determined that in Homefront: The Revolution, the version of Time Splitters Two that's in there is actually a 4K port, and it actually contains all of the levels. They're just inaccessible. Hold up, there's stuff from Time Splitters Two inside of Homefront: The Revolution. That's not news. This is no. <laughs> to some people, it might be. It might be. But let me tell you, I wrote an article about it back when the game released to let you know that you could play the first two levels of Time Splitters 2 within mm-hmm. Homefront The Revolution. But the news here is just more that it's it does support resolutions up to 4K and that the rest of the game is in there. It's just uh, it, the way to get to it is lost. Yes. It is it is gone. Uh and that's that's an interesting story, right? Cuz they talk about how the the original notebook from the developer that had the the code or whatever to access the entire thing was lost, like he doesn't have access to it anymore. <laughs> and then I guess it literally is just like a, it's some kind of it's a code you input apparently. Um and similarly, 
the the developer like posted the information into a discord and got banned from that discord because the people who owned it thought that it was a ridiculous troll and that it wasn't real. <laughs> and so now he can't get to the information there either. Oh, geez. The quote here is the unlock the unlock code has been lost to time. I don't have the notebook with it in any or the notebook with it in anymore. I once gave it to a friend to leak in some discord channel and they called him a liar and banned his account. <laughs> um, so that's sad. That is sad. Uh, that's, I've been hearing similar things about the upcoming Ninja Gaiden release that's happening over the summer for PC and modern consoles. They lost the original source code to Ninja Gaiden. Oh, so you're get, we're getting like, Ninja Gaiden Black Sigma oh or Sigma yeah, yeah yeah Sigma as the the versions that we get and that it will support 4K 60 but it won't uh allow for higher frame rates than that. I mean that's fine. 60 is yeah. going to be more than fine, but yeah, it's just like there there's going to be some weirdness with this uh Ninja Gaiden release. It is not going to be as pure as it seemed it was going to be. Mhm. Mm Gosh, that was a good game. That's hard to ship, but it's a good game. Yeah. Uh I'm looking Team forward Ninja. to playing three in, in that in that grouping because that's the only one that I haven't played. I think I played part of two and and just was like, I actually don't want a really hard game anymore. <laughs> um and then yeah, I haven't played three at all. Um I, I I'd be interested in picking those back up. Even just playing one for the nostalgia factor would be cool. Um just until you mm. get to the first boss with the the nunchucks and then nope out. Nah, um, <laughs> I have a fun story about that game. When back when it came out on the OG Xbox, uh, my buddy and I were uh, like playing. We were taking turns playing through it, right? And we'd like trade the controller back and forth on levels. Mm -hmm. um, and this was a game that was not very kind with its like auto saving. Um, right, like you had to manual save everything. And so we were very late in the game. We were like, how many chapters in the first one? Is it like 11 or something like that? I don't know. That it's, sounds it's, right. It's, it's a low tens number. And we were like two chapters shy of the end. And he had just slogged through this level and beaten his head against the wall, trying to beat this same boss over and over, like probably for like an hour straight. Right. And he finally did it. And he was like, fuck yeah. And he passed the controller to me and I died on the next level before I could get us to a save point. Oh, uh, no. Because the beginning part of that level was so hard and it was just like, wait, what? Um, and he was like f so mad. He wasn't speaking like he was fuming silently. Like he couldn't believe it. Right. And so I said, hey, don't worry about it. I, w I just watched you fight this boss. I know what I'm doing. I can take this on. So I get my save recovered from like 10 minutes prior to the boss fight, make my way through uh, to the boss. And I took him down in one attempt <laughs> because just, I mean, I've just been watching him fight this thing and learning his patterns for the last hour. Right. So like I knew yeah, what yeah. to do. So yeah, I totally just kicked the boss's ass and got us through into the next level and got us to a save point again. <laughs> and he oh was like God. happy that I had recovered that, but also even more mad that I had beaten the boss in one go. <laughs> Uh, it was, it was a good time. It was a real good time. Um, yeah, that game's hard. 
I've still never forgiven the person that I lent my PS2 memory card to after I had completed the story to San Andreas and was nearly 100% complete with it to receive my memory card back and have a completely different save in its place because he copied his save over mine instead of my save over his. Oh. I've never recovered from that. Yeah, that's a that's a rough one. Oof. Yeah, was a uh, Team Ninja recently confessed that it lost the source code for Ninja Gaiden Black and Ninja Gaiden Two? Ah, uh, that's it. Yeah, forcing the company to use the Sigma re-releases for the PlayStation Three. Uh, hard pill to swallow since Black and Ninja Gaiden Two are regarded as the definitive versions of the first two games. I don't. Yeah, so Sigma and Sigma 2 aren't ch as cherished as the originals. Yeah, I guess there were some changes. Oh. I, I never played those. Many fans believe the games were easier than their predecessors and didn't enjoy the subtle changes made. One of Ninja yeah. Gaiden Black's biggest draws was the additional difficulty modes for advanced players. Interesting. Um, well, so shit. Like, actually, these games are a little easier now. I might be more likely to play them. I'm not going <laughs> to <lie. laughs> Interesting. Uh, huh. How do like, well, like I remember hearing of stories about studios losing source code like 20 years ago, no, 30 years ago. Um, it is wild to me that that stuff is still happening. 30 years ago was 1970, right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Just you checking. got that right. No, I'm glad I'm glad you pointed that out because a lot of people would say, oh, 30 years ago was 1991 and they would be wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, like do you, you still do the thing that I do as well, which is like you base everything off of the year 2000. Yeah, exactly. God, no, it's just like we have such better ways of of maintaining copies of code now and like archiving and preserving it and, and backups and backups of backups. And yes, Um but I guess that stuff gets harder over time and the older something gets, probably the more likely it is it's going to get lost. So I don't know what you got to do. Is you got to take your source code and you got to print it out into a binder and you got to make lots oh, of copies geez. of that binder. You distribute it. So that way when your CD backups and your tape backups fail, you still got something you can scan in, just run it through the OCR reader. I think you're onto something. I think I might be. I'm going to start a company. Come with me on this journey. Uh, slow save is what we'll call it. <laughs> I'm into it's it. like literally the most cold storage backup you could make just about right? the coldest of storage. Just keep those binders in a freezer. <laughs> uh, should we read an email? Gmails. All right. Uh, Ed mails. Ed mails. Why am I typing right now? Uh, <clears throat> As usual, this week's email comes to us from Saving Content's own Ed Acosta. Ed writes, Let's get back to gaming with this new and improved email question. I, you know, I don't really know where that's coming from. I, I read these in whatever order I please. <clears throat> but yes, let's get back to gaming. Always. Uh, <laughs> there have been many elaborate and wacky gaming collector's editions over the years. Have you ever ponied up the money for the top tier edition of a title? And if so, what was the most outrageous one that you bought? Uh, if you've never dabbled in tchotchke laden boxes before, which one that you know of is the strangest or most noteworthy? 
I like this question. Um, have you have you ever bought one of the like insane two hundred or three hundred dollar collector's editions of a game? No, I've never I've never done that. I've never gone that far with any of them, but I have done a is, few wait, collector's wait, wait, wait. editions. Is, is that the thing that Meatloaf won't do for love? <gasps> it has to be. Did we figure it out finally? <laughs> I think so. <sighs> I feel really good about this. Sorry, Dude, uh, please continue. His name is Meatloaf. Like, how can anybody say that with a straight face? His name is Meatloaf. I mean, you say anything enough times, it loses its meaning. I guess. Meatloaf, 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 so you, Meatloaf. So meatloaf, when gone. he first came on the scene, people were just straight up into it? Or did they laugh? I have no idea. I have, oh gosh, I have a weird Meatloaf story, but I don't want to <laughs> derail the email. Okay, go on. <clears throat> Another time. Oh. Yeah, oh, or we can circle back to it after this. Let's, uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, gaming legend, legendary editions or whatever. Um, what, what is the most extravagant edition of a game you've bought? Probably like 70 or $80. Okay. So like the, the limited edition tier. Well, I mean, the thing of it is though, is like the thing I'm, referring to was Forza Motorsport 4 and it had like a like a like a big big box version that came with like a USB drive a keychain and some other thing but like there was no and there was nothing higher than it mm. for that particular game so I bought the the high end it just wasn't that expensive but uh, the other thing that I bought is I bought the collector's edition to Prey 2006, which came oh. with like pewter figurines, like a tin holder for the game. Uh, I think there was something it, else to it. Did it come with a resin cast sphincter door? <laughs> it did not. That is what <laughs> that video is one of my highest viewed videos on my YouTube channel. That's so is, funny. Uh, well, it's not just the, it's actually not the sphincter door. It's the Easter egg of finding the uh, lady part version of the door. Oh, oh, good. You and it talks vagina to you. Door. Yeah, and it talks to you. Wow. So that, um, that, that clip on my YouTube is very highly viewed. Y you realize that we are now obligated to include the link to that in the show notes for this week. Oh, that's go fine out. by me. Okay, great. Uh, I am going to, your homework is to include that in the link section of the doc so I can put it in the description. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that was actually the extent of this collector's edition was the pewter figurines, uh, and the tin case for it. Uh, I think it maybe came with the soundtrack as well, but, but yeah, I, I've never really done too much with, uh, extravagant, extravagant collector's editions. I've never really gone all the way with them. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same. Uh like I, I've always admired the super crazy editions of things, but could never justify the ridiculous cost of them. Um that being said, uh so like the most the, the most version of a game I've ever bought, <laughs> let's put it that way. I wanna say is the 
second from the top tier of Halo Reach. And I think I may have even talked about this on the show before. I've certainly talked to you about it. And it's also one of the only ones I still own. Um, I kept that. Um, so like, I think, so Halo, th- Halo 3 was the cat helmet, right? Wasn't that like, uh, the- maybe, I don't know. I'm going to Google this. I thought it was just um, Master Chief helmet. Well, it is. Yeah, this was Halo 3. So it is a Master Chief helmet, but it's a small one and it wouldn't fit on any person's head, but it, yes. it absolutely fits on a cat's head. And if you Google the phrase Halo 3 cat helmet, you will get pictures that, of people having put this helmet on their cats. And it's great. I see what you're saying. Okay. F- fucking love it. Uh, yes. And this was the legendary edition. Um and I remember thinking at the time, like, I might almost be willing to buy this until I found out that the helmet was not, in fact, person sized. Uh, That's why I do want the Doom Eternal collector's edition thing, because it does come with a human high, human heist, human sized head yeah. uh, helmet. Interesting. Um, so you can actually wear Doom Guy's helmet. And yeah, it looks cool. fucking awesome. That's cool. That'd be good for Zoom meetings. Uh, yeah, that's that's the one I want. Yeah. Um, so I remember that one and thinking that would be cool. But um, again, it was like $200 or $150 or something ridiculous. Um, but I did buy the like the $80 Halo Reach Collector's Edition or whatever, which is, comes in a very fancy, like future looking box. And it's got loads of extra like lore packed into it. So there's like Dr. Halsey's journal is in there and like a bunch of posters and like all sorts of other stuff. Um, so like if you care about the Halo lore and the Halo universe, which I did at the time, it's kind of like the the perfect collector's edition to get. Um, and then like the Borderlands, like $200 tier that have like the diamond loot chests or whatever, like the, the loot chest replicas you can get, like those always stick out in my memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there've been much weirder, like super crazy expensive editions of things, but uh, my brain just like dismisses those. <laughs> like I refuse to remember this. Well, yeah. <clears throat> uh, this actually makes me want to do like, let's Google the craziest collector's edition. Yeah. Edition. Uh, 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 yeah. Best collector's edition games. Best is probably a better way to do this. Um, do, do, do. 10 most bizarre. This is even better. I did buy the uh, like the box set of Lost on Blu-ray when it came out, which was pretty extravagant. Okay. Um, it comes in a oh god, it comes in this very wild package, and there's like a little mini blacklight included because there's all sorts of UV ink all over everything for you to read, like hidden symbols, and it just packed a lot of extra crap in that box. Um, let's see, Resident Evil Seven had like a replica of one of the buildings. Okay. Like uh, from the from the plant from the the house, comes with a lot of weird stuff. Um, the one we should never forget and also instantaneously forget and purge from memory is the Dead Island Riptide Zombie Bait Edition, that comes with like a dismembered woman's torso <sighs> yeah. statuette. Yeah. With like very heavy boobage and it's kind of it's it's just embarrassing. Um. Yep. Halo Three Legendary Edition is on this list. One hundred forty nine ninety nine. Oh, wow. Witcher 3 Wild Hunts Collector's Edition was pretty extravagant. Oh, 
That was a full-on mansion of the Resident Evil 7. Uh, full-on rep. Wow. Full-on replica of the Resident Evil 7 mansion. Okay. In this thing. $150. Uh, Arkham Asylum Collector's Edition has a Batarang. Who can forget the Sam... F no, the Call of Duty uh, Night Vision Goggles release. Yeah, they've done that twice. I have... Mm -hmm. I actually have the... Um, Modern Warfare 2019 Collector's Edition uh, that comes with the, the night vision goggles. I didn't mention yeah. it because I didn't pay for it because Activision sent it to me. Mm, fair enough. Oh, this is good. So do you remember Tron Evolution? Uh, like, vaguely. The weird like tie-in video game that came out alongside Tron Legacy that is a totally different plot but similar visual style and sort of has tie-ins to the movie. Um, yeah, that game, familiar. that game had a $129 collector's edition. And the only extra thing it came with was like a light cycle figurine. Um, but it was super cheaply made and kind of shitty. So you were paying 60 extra dollars for like a $10 piece of plastic. If that, <laughs> and I know this because I bought it, but I got it on deep discount brand new for like 15 bucks because <laughs> they couldn't sell these fucking things oh like it God. literally it was literally on the same level of a mcdonald's happy meal toy in terms of the quality of it oh wow mm -hmm. yeah it was bad wow there's a there was a one thousand dollar edition of resident evil 6 came with a leather jacket would you do it no it was the worst resident evil game but the best gear best collector's item yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, anyway, <sighs> yeah, man. Does, does Ed say what his wild. his items are? You know, this is a rare situation where Ed does not offer an example of his own. Oh, unfortunately. Oh, Death Stranding had a wild collector's edition too. You have your very own baby in a tank replica. Oh man, who could forget the Fallout Four Pip Boy? Oh right. Fallout 76 had the uh, the helmet as well. That <gasps> one would fit on your head. And then they it also did. had the the tote bag incident. It did. You're right. Oh, my God. The tote bag incident. That was ridiculous. Um, also, Titanfall 2 had a helmet in its best edition. And that oh. one you could wear. It looks very cool. Wow. Maybe I should start spending too much money. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> It should be affordable by now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I bet those things are hard to get. Because uh, there's probably not many of them floating around. Titan. Titan Fall 2 Collector's Edition. Let's see what eBay says. Uh, oh, my God. Well, so here's someone selling the helmet for 120. Here's someone selling it for 675. 485. 775. Yeah, these things are rare. <laughs> Good luck. Well, on that note, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of QuickSafe. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find me on Twitter at EV underscore row. Scott, where can people find you on the internet? They can get at me at Hawk underscore SE at salt on fries is okay. 
at saving content and <laughs> at NFS cheats. Oh, jeez. Do you want to make a quick announcement? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, I have reacquired the the rights and domain ownership of the very first website that I worked on, needforspeedcheats.com. And uh, I'm excited to, to revive that site and do something with it because it's, <laughs> it's just been sitting there for nine years doing nothing. So you got a lot of catch up to do there then. Well, thankfully, it's not going to be a, a saving content too. That has been decided. Okay, great. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> please visit us at savingcontent.com for news and reviews. Uh, if you have questions that you would like to have answered on the podcast, which I highly encourage you to, uh, to pursue, by the way, send them in to quicksave at savingcontent.com or reach out to us on Twitter at savingcontent. Lastly, if you could, one more favor to ask. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on the iTunes podcast directory. It helps us a lot with discoverability, and it is a great and easy way to help out the show without having to spend a single dime of your own. Until next time, you know what they say. I will never be able to hear mention of meatloaf without having a visceral memory of an experience I had in college. It was my freshman year when I was living in the dorms. Uh, I was attending one of the two state universities and they are, they were about a 45 minute drive apart from one another. Right. Uh, I was at the time dating a girl who was going to the other one, 45 minutes South the guy who lived across the hall from me in the dorms was, uh, had a lot of friends also attending that university, the other one. Uh, and so he had a reason to go down there most weekends. I didn't have a car at the time and I wasn't driving at the time. So my options were take the Greyhound bus down, which is fine, but inflexible. Um, and also like, have you been to a Greyhound bus station, uh, in a small town? (laughs) It's, it's dicey. Um, so one of the weekends when I wanted to go down and visit my girlfriend, I hitched a ride with the guy across the hall who I had like just kind of a weird friendship with. Like he was nice enough, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and he actually like, to, you know, we had a lot of shared interests um, and he really did want to like get along well and be friends with me. And I was just very wary of him because his personality was was huge. Right. He was just very very big personality, which I, it always takes me a while to warm up to. And we were on opposite ends of enough things on say like the political spectrum that even at the age of 18, I was like, uh, I don't know how sustainable a friendship is here, but I will try. Cause you seem nice. Uh, okay. And so I don't know. And, and he was like convinced that I outright hated him by the end of that first year, which I totally didn't. Um, like I just was, you know, I, I was just awkward and, and unsure of how to handle myself more than anything. So we're driving down uh, to visit my girlfriend and his friends uh, for the weekend. And he drives like a Volkswagen 
Was it a golf or a rabbit? Uh, it depends these, on the year. Those it was older. Um, I had to have been a rabbit. Now that I think about it, uh, I want to say it was like an '80s model. Okay, um, does that does that sound right? Yeah, it does. So this thing was his pride and joy, right? Because like all throughout high school, he had spent a ton of time restoring it and like making it beautiful and like putting all this time and money into it. And so, like, I don't think there's anything that he loved in the entire universe more than this VW car. Um, and this is important for reasons that will soon become clear. Um, we are driving down there and we're kind of like, we, we, we get into town, uh, and this is like in the city of Eugene. Um, and we're kind of doing, I can't remember. Like we had to go by the mall first cause he wanted to get some pants or something, which is like, a, okay, whatever. Like this is the thing sure. you hit your ride with someone you're along for whatever errands they want to run. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we go to the mall first before we go down to the university and we are, we get out of there right at like prime traffic hour and not that traffic in Eugene is that bad. Cause it's not very big compared to even compared to Portland. Right. Um, but still there's traffic, there's things slowing down, there's backup. So the other thing about this guy is meatloaf is one of his favorite musical artists. All right. <laughs> and he loves to drive fast and listen to meatloaf. And I think so I know where this is going. No, but who, how could you possibly predict where this is going? Um, <laughs> so we are flying down the highway, like trying to make a connection to from the highway that leads to the mall to the one that's going to take us into town where the university is. Um, and he is blasting meatloaf's bat out of hell at high volume uh-huh. and singing along to it very loudly and trying to get me hyped up and into it. And I'm like, admittedly, dude, like I don't know meatloaf's catalog very well. And this is like the second time in my life I've heard this song. So I will not be singing along <laughs> with you on this. <laughs> Nothing personal. And he's just, he's like, that's cool, whatever. And he's just getting super into it. And he's so into it that he's not paying attention to what's going on in front of him. Uh, and you know, we're both like 18 or 19 or whatever, and not the most experienced drivers. Um, and, and I say this because I had made similar mistakes as a driver at this point, which may or may not be why I wasn't driving, uh, at that point in my life. Um, at any rate, he doesn't notice in time that, uh, that the cars in front of him have stopped. Oh no. And he, you know, slams on his brakes, but absolutely just plows right into the car in front of us. He causes a six car pileup. So it's not, not just that he rear ended the car in front of him, but just boom, 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 but like just, you know, the worst possible outcome. Um, and I can't remember if someone ended up rear ending him as well, which would have absolved him of all responsibility or not. Like that's a detail that's lost to me. Um, I think it, I don't, I think the cars behind us were able to dodge off to the side and, and avoid the accident. So, so it's, it's like, it's ridiculous. I had literally that summer prior. So this was probably like December, no, like November, this was November. And so we're like two or three months into the school year earlier that summer in June or in July, I had just totaled my car, um, in a, in a similar incident. Right. All right. And so, like it was the sort of thing where I was rocking out to a song. I wasn't paying close enough attention. Something happened. I wasn't expecting on the road in front of me. Boom. My car is totaled. So yeah. 
I watched this whole thing unfold in front of me in slow motion because it is so like I can see it happening like 15 seconds before it does. I can tell what's going to happen. And I don't have time to react enough because I'm like, I'm, I'm just like, surely he's going to notice this and we'll be OK. Right. And by the time I think to yell at him, it's already too late. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, God, not again. And <laughs> so, yeah, so there we are. Uh, and everyone's fine. No one's hurt. Uh, but a lot of cars are fucked up. His car is absolutely annihilated and he is sobbing and leaning on it like just beside himself, not uh, because of the accident he caused, but because the car, but because of the car. And like, that's maybe not a fair assessment. Like, I'm sure he carries that with him. And, and like, he probably was really upset and shaken up about the whole thing. But the only thing he would talk about was the car. Right. And how he couldn't believe this and blah, blah, you know, just that was all he could say. Um, and so I think I'm trying to remember how we even got out of there because I think the car had to be towed. So the tow truck might have dropped us off or someone else came and got us. Uh, I actually, I might've had to have called my girlfriend and have her bring her car and come get us. I don't even remember. Um, but anyway, that's how he lost his car and then started building a new one, uh, re restoring a new one from scratch later in the school year. Uh, and that is why I can only ever think of that incident when I hear bad <laughs> out of hell and also why my brain goes straight there when I hear about meatloaf. Yeah, I get that now. Mm hmm. Yeah. Which is, it's kind of fun to look back on in a weird way. Like, I think it's an entertaining story. But, uh, yeah, when I think of Meatloaf, I think of being in a six-car pileup in a tiny Volkswagen in, uh, on a cloudy day in November. Well, damn. That, that explains a lot. It sure does. About everything. 